Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together, and we pray that your word would be honored tonight, that you would be exalted, and that we would uh, be receptive to whatever you want to say to us. And so just please speak to each and every one of us and have your way in our hearts uh, and minds tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, just a quick little um, practical side of things. Um, Larry mentioned that we're doing community VBS, which means that we are all uh, going to be cutting out of here to get back to uh, VBS by 8 o'clock. So you guys have been complaining that I talk too slow, so we're going to try and see if we can speed it up a little tonight. Um, but actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cut it short, and so they'll be trickling out as they one by one lose confidence in me. Um, but that's the, also the only reason why I'm in a shirt like this, right? Like you guys know that Nate wears about three shirts and this is not one of them, right? So anyways, so that's that. But um, so last week's reading, as we're reading through the Bible in a year, we read from Job chapter 29 to Psalm chapter 23. And then next week, as we're doing through the Bible in a year, we're gonna hit Psalm 24 to Psalm 61. And so as we're looking at the Psalms in particular, the Psalms are really, um, they're the hymn book of the nation of Israel. And most of the Psalms are going to be written by King David. Um, there's a couple by different guys. There's um, at least one by Moses. There's some by Solomon. There's some by a guy named Asaph. There's a couple we just don't know for sure who they're written by. Um, but Psalms, just a couple things as you're reading it, you're thinking, okay, it's a hymn book. It's not going to rhyme, period. Um, so if you're looking for hymns, Psalms don't. Psalms do not rhyme. Um, part of that's because they were written in Hebrew and they've been translated and poetry loses its rhyme when it gets translated. The other part of that is that Hebrew poetry never rhymed in the first place. Um, Hebrew is complex enough that I don't fully understand it, but more or less Hebrew poetry is a lot more based on like having the right number of syllables in each line instead of actually rhyming. So if you're looking for anything like that, it's not there. Um, but what is there is just a ton of incredibly practical truth about, uh, practical, relevant truth and truths about who God is and about uh, us being able to be honest in our situations and honest in our relationship with the Lord. And so we get to see, somebody said that Psalms is where theology meets human experience. And that's really just a great way to look at it. Because um, it's this understanding of, okay, here's who God is, but here's where my situation is at. And I'm trying to reconcile those two. And that's where Psalms is at. Um, and then just one other thing that I, every time you go through Psalms, it it's kind of comes up, is as you're reading through, you're going to come to a couple Psalms that you just read, and you're like, you know, that just doesn't quite sound right, okay? Um, there's going to be a couple Psalms where David in particular uh, is going to be asking the Lord for vengeance, and he's going to be saying, okay, Lord, you know, smash their teeth in their mouth, and make their women barren, and uh, Psalm 137, I think it is, says, how blessed are those who dash your little ones to pieces against the rocks. So it doesn't feel, that doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite sound like what we normally put up on, you know, plaques in, in our homes. Um, but as you're reading those, okay, bear in mind that Psalms are written in the Old Testament context, okay? And so in the Old Testament law, was as the Lord gave the law, the Lord said there's supposed to be justice administered. And so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If someone, um, if someone steals your property, he has to restore double, right? If someone kidnaps somebody, uh, you kill the person, 
right? Capital punishment is a reality. And so David is operating from a little bit of that mindset, right? As we are looking at the Psalms from, uh, from a hindsight perspective, we want to just keep in mind that uh, Jesus said, I've fulfilled the law and the prophets. And so all the law and the prophets are now summed up for us in Jesus saying, um, love each other as I have loved you. So as you're reading that, that's not really, you know, people talk about like praying the scriptures. That's not the scriptures they're talking about. So don't uh, go to the Lord with those and expect him to answer them because those are specifically uh, Old Testament scriptures. Okay, so they're still inspired. I don't want us to get confused on that. But we're supposed to understand them in a different context now because of Jesus, because of Christ. But um, just real fast, I want to touch on the book of Job as we are wrapping it up because Job, you know, you get in the beginning and there's all this suffering. You get in the middle and there's all this dialogue. And if we were to stop right there, it would feel very uh, incomplete. And so at the end of Job, after Job has said, I'm not hiding any sins. And if I could just talk to the Lord and explain my situation, he would understand that this is unfair. And Job's friends telling him, no, Job, you're wrong. After all of that dialogue, the Lord shows up. And whenever I get to that spot where the Lord shows up in the book of Job, it's like, finally, right? Uh, we can stop worrying about, is this man's philosophy or God's wisdom? It's just, it's God talking, right? And God talks for four or five chapters, and God never answers any of Job's questions. He never answers his questions. Job has a lot of questions about why have bad things happened to me? Why is life unfair? And God does not answer them at all. What God does is he starts asking Job questions. He says, Job, were you there when I created the world? When I stretched out the stars, were you there? Do you know how that works? Do you know how birds of prey understand how to see, their, see what they're going after, target it, and nail it, right? Do you understand how ocean currents work, Job? Do you understand how light gets stretched out? And, and the Lord asks him these questions, and even as we're reading it today, there's a lot of just things in there that we just really have no idea, right? Uh, light. Is something that we all use and we all appreciate very much, but at the end of the day, almost nobody, nobody really knows exactly what light is. Because it's kind of like a wave, uh, like, a, like a sound wave, but it also is like a particle, uh, but it's not atoms, it's like other things, and so it's, it's, it's just light, right? And that's about, you know, there's a lot more complex ways to explain it, and you could have one of those chalkboards with like, you know, 10 feet of chalk that's full of all these numbers. And at the end of the day, the same answer is really nobody knows, right? Light, it's just, it's pretty complex, okay? And nobody except Brennan. Brennan might know. But, um, but light is just, it's complex. We don't know, okay? There's, just, there's so many things in the natural world that we have no idea, right? Um, there's, kind of, you know, there's studies in physics and things that we, it's just like, right? It's just, it's just beyond our comprehension. And God asked those to Job to bring Job to an awareness of, you know what? Maybe my focus shouldn't be on my situation, no matter what my situation is. Maybe my focus should be on the Lord. And maybe instead of saying, wow, life is rough, maybe I should say, wow, God is king, right? Wow, God is in control. Wow, God is good, even though I don't have a big enough perspective right now to fully understand how God is being good to me in this context, okay? He's still God. And so Job, as, he, as the Lord is talking to him, Job gets this perspective realignment. And at the end of it, Job's like, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry I ever said anything, right? Job's like, I, uh, I crossed a bigger line than I realized there. And so for each one of us, as we're, as we're just thinking about the end of Job, 
right? Uh, we all have situations and we all have life happen to us, but the question is not, do we get to understand why things are happening? The question is not, do we get to uh, have everything answered to our satisfaction? The question is, are we willing to recognize the nature and the character of the Lord enough to say, regardless of the amount of understanding that I have, I have enough understanding about the nature of God to put my trust in him in spite of the circumstances, not because of the circumstances, okay? So that's the summary of the book of Job, and that leads us uh, very beautifully into the book of Psalms and into Psalms 1. And uh, kind of a funny story. So with this whole VBS thing, uh, initially they had the schedule mixed up where we were supposed to have to be back there at like 7.40. And I said, there's no way I can teach and get over there by 7.40. Um, and so I asked dad if he could teach. And then they announced they had the schedule mixed up. So I only have to be over there at 8. But in the midst of that, dad said, well, what were you going to teach on? And I said, I was going to teach on Psalms 2. And he said, well, I'll probably teach on Psalms 1 because conspiracy theorists teach on Psalms 2 and nice guys teach on Psalm 1. And he's really, he's totally right. Um, but I was getting ready this morning, and I thought, you know, he's, he's absolutely right. So I decided to split the difference. I'm going to be a nice conspiracy theorist tonight. And so we're going to do one and part of two. And we're going to be glossing through them both because um, there's really just no way. It doesn't matter if we are on a time crunch. It doesn't matter what kind of time crunch we're on. Psalms 1 and Psalms 2 both are just so packed with incredible truth and incredible application for our lives um, that... We're just gonna we're gonna be trying to hit the highlights and do them something close to justice. Um, but Psalms one starts off. We don't have the name of an author. Okay, you you will see in Psalms. Just heads up, it'll say a Psalm of David or a Psalm of whoever. Um, and those are in the original text. So those are part of Scripture. Those aren't like editor's notes. All right, those are actually there originally as well. So don't just gloss over them because sometimes there's really specific insights in there that help us understand the context. But Psalm 1 starts off and it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. Now, a, a lot of people will look at this, and, and the very, uh, a very straightforward application is, as the Lord is describing the blessings that happen to this person, he's also describing staying out of sin. And it describes a progression of sin. He says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit with the scoffers, right? And so just right off the bat, we're looking at, okay, here's some application for us. If you want to be blessed, um, a good first step is don't start on that path. You know, it's a progression, right? You go from walking by places of sin or temptation to lingering to chilling, Right? There's this progression that happens where all of a sudden now, you know, it's not like awful sin, right? I mean, it's just kind of, it's, you know, it's, it's a little edgy maybe for kids. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I'm an adult, right? And, and we can get into that mindset very easily of, well, what can I get away with? Right? Can I uh, do this and still be a Christian? Can I do this and still 
not have any long-term major consequences, right? And that's totally the backwards way to look at it, right? And so we shouldn't, so the point is, if you don't want to wind up sitting with the scoffers, well, then don't start by walking with the wicked. Don't start by walking in the counsel of the wicked, right? It's not, we're not even talking about physically associating with people. We're talking about identifying with ideas. So as Christians, we need to not just be Christians. We need to be thinking Christians. We need to be Christians who say, okay, wait a second. I was just given an idea or a statement or a fact about the way the world works. Is this true or is this false? Does this line up with what the Word of God says? Does this line up with what I know to be true? And so there's that side of it. The flip side is also, it's kind of one of these uh, positive, negative reinforcement things where you could say if you want to be blessed, don't go down this route, okay? But just also, you're blessed if you don't, right? But how blessed is the man who does not? So just don't start down that path, right? And you are already on your way to receiving the blessings of God. We've talked about before, um, you... We live in a cause and effect universe, okay? Um, and you can do things to invite the blessing of God in your life. You can do things to invite the consequences of God in your life. So if you want to invite the blessings of God into your life, okay, now we're not saying that if you serve the Lord, you'll be rich, or if you serve the Lord, you'll always be happy. We are saying if you serve the Lord, you will invite the blessings of God into your life. And again, just like talking about Job, sometimes... From our perspective, we might not fully understand them as blessings in the moment, but they're blessings from the Lord nonetheless. So we, if we want to invite the blessings of God into our life, okay, one is stay out of certain areas. Now, verse uh, two. Now we get something to stay in or stay focused on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So if you want to invite the blessing of God into your life, step one, don't get tangled up in sin. Step two, um, or really just the, the parallel, it's not even a one and two thing, okay? The flip side is delight yourself in the Lord. Meditate on the word of God day and night, okay? If you invite the blessing of God, into, if, you, if you are focused on the word of God, you are inviting the blessing of God into your life. Because what you're doing is constantly realigning yourself with the will of God. You're saying, okay, um, so I'm reading in the Word today, and it's saying this. So, you know, as I'm praying and trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to I try and strive for that today. And so now you're more aligned with the will of God, and you're inviting the blessing of God into your life as a natural part of that process. Uh, verse 3 says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So, it's like we're given two options and then a promise. Okay? So, blessings are offered to us as a result of two things. One, not walking in sin, and two, delighting in the Word of God. And the ripple effect of that, okay, of inviting the blessing of God into our life like that, is that we'll be firmly rooted like a tree that's by the water. Now, I live on a creek, and I've seen a lot of trees that are rooted by the water. They get the same amount of rain as the trees that don't, that aren't close to the water. They get the same kinds of storms, but they're rooted in a different sort of a way, right? And so for each one of us, this is not a promise that circumstances will always be favorable, 
This isn't a promise that life will be fun. This isn't a promise that we'll be happy. The Bible really actually doesn't even care about your happiness. The Lord cares about joy in the life of a believer. Happiness is circumstance-based. Joy is truth-based, right? Joy says, this is nuts, but God is still in control, and I'm still looking forward to what's coming. Happiness says, this is fun, so I'm happy, right? So if you're looking at how you want your life to go, don't look for happiness. Look for joy, right? Uh, The joy of the Lord is our strength. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, okay? So if we are rooted in the Word of God, the storms still come. There's still times when life is not fun and life is not happy, right? And we're not going to feel like life is fun and life is happy. But the reality of the goodness and the, uh, the justice of God will not be changed. It will not be altered by our circumstances. And if we are anchored to the truth of the word, if we're delighting in that, if we are meditating on that day and night, then as those circumstances come then we are equipped, right, to invite the blessings of God in our lives even through those, right? Not because of or in spite of, but just through them, right in the midst of it. And so there's less of this um, back and forth in, in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, do I do this or what do I do? It's just like, you know what, just stay the course, right? You just keep delighting yourself in the Word of God. You keep meditating. You keep not walking in the path of the sinners, right? You stop walking in that kind of counsel. And, and then, uh, as the psalm gives us kind of, you know, the options and the promise, it also gives us a warning. In verse 4, it says, The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, if you don't delight yourself in the Lord... If you don't meditate on the Word of God, if you choose to live a circumstance-driven life, okay, if you choose to ah, listen to a little bit of counsel from some less than godly sources, then you are inviting consequences, right? You are, you are willfully depriving yourself of water in the desert, right? Nobody on a hike through the desert pours out their canteen on the ground to start off right? Nobody who wants to live a trip across, who wants to survive a trip across the desert gets rid of water, right? Everyone is focused on how can I conserve as much water? Because I need that water. If, <clears throat> excuse me. If we uh, take ourselves out of that place of meditating on the word of God and into that place of walking in the counsel of the ungodly, then we are pouring out the water. We are letting go of the nutrition, the spiritual food that the Lord is offering us. And so it's like we are inviting consequence in our life. We're opening ourselves up to even more circumstances that can then distract us even further, right? Because if we're rooted in the Word of God, circumstances come and they're hard. But they are just always points where we say, man, this is hard, but I've got to anchor into the Word. I've got to anchor into the heart of God. But if we are not rooted in the Word then circumstances come, and all of a sudden, it's like we're blown off course a little further. All of a sudden, like, oh my goodness, now I have, like, zero options, right? And at this point, I forgot what water tastes like, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at mirages in the desert now, right? It's like we are pulling ourselves away from what the Lord is offering. So the, the, 
the Lord is offering us incredible stability, just incredible blessings, incredible richness with him through his word, right? So we get the privilege, we get the opportunity, we get the responsibility to take that. And that brings us to Psalms 2. Psalm 2, I keep calling it Psalms. I think it's, it's Psalm 2. Sorry, we're in the Psalms, but it's Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So why are the nations in an uproar? Have you guys noticed? Um, the world right now is in an uproar. The world is going ballistic right now, right? And we're trying to convince ourselves that no, it's just, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an outcry for uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to m develop socially. No, no, the world is going ballistic, right? The world is losing its mind, okay? And, and I think I'm not the only person who's noticing that, right? Pretty much everybody uh, who lived through last year is like, man, this is crazy. And we, everybody disagrees over why it's crazy, right? It's like, man, if everybody would just rip off their mask, this world could be normal. It's like, man, if everybody would just put on their mask, this world could be normal. But those guys are making it ballistic, right? Everybody knows it's ballistic. We just like to blame somebody else. So, but are you getting, am I getting through to you? The world is kind of ballistic, right? Um, and the people are devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth are taking a stand and the rulers of the world are taking counsel together. In the last year, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint, the world is, in a lot of ways, more united than it's ever been, right? I mean, you think about back in like March of last year, what percent of the world said, we will go into voluntary lockdown in an effort to get rid of this virus and go back to normal? Okay, and you can argue whether or not you think it was a good idea or a bad idea, but the point is, a huge percent of the world said, okay, we are willing to stay at home if it means that we can get this over with and get back to normal. I mean, that many people haven't united under one cause in like what, forever? Right? I mean, it was a, a season of mass unity. The world leaders now are in this, you know, they're all getting all chummy right now because, well, we're all buying vaccines together to distribute and we're all working on this global corporate tax rate thing, which is really weird, but I'm not going to get off on that tonight because I don't have time. But there's this whole, you know, world system that's starting to come into place, right? And it shouldn't concern us as Christians because we understand a couple things. And one is that this is a sign of the end times, right? We understand that at the end of time, the world is going to unite into a one world government. I so wish I had more time to go off on this, but I don't. Um, the world is going to unite. So as we watch things like this happen, Okay, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, it doesn't mean that the world is living biblically, okay? Notice what it says. Uh, they're taking their counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, and they're saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. We live in a world right now that is labeling Christianity as bondage, Right? Right now, for, for really for the first time in a long period of time, at least in the Western world, okay? I mean, we've had, you know, Christians in other parts of the world have lived with persecution for a long time. So I'm not complaining. All right, don't misunderstand me. But all of a sudden, 
for really the first time, Christian teaching, Christian doctrine has gone from being, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit indifferent to Christianity, but whatever. To, no, Christianity is now dangerous, right? The world system right now is trying to label Christianity as dangerous because we hold to things like marriage is the covenant between one man and one woman. And it's now we have to clarify and say, well, we mean it's the marriage between one biological man who's been a biological man since birth and one biological female, right? And the world is trying to invent all this new language. Do you know, technically, according to the world language, I am a cisgender, heteronormative, patriarchal male? I used to think I could just call myself a dude, but evidently that's not clear enough. So, so now we have to come up with all these labels, right? And the world is now saying Christianity is the problem, okay? They are raging. They are taking counsel together. And we're looking, and even, you know, we're seeing it in just a lot of different fronts. We're seeing it in, on the marriage standpoint. We're seeing it on the life standpoint. We're seeing it, honestly, uh, even with this whole vaccine. I don't care if you, if you want to get the vaccine, whatever. If you don't want to get the vaccine, whatever. That's not the point. But the point is, there's a reality that amongst people who aren't getting the vaccine, conservative Christians happen to be a larger demographic in that group. And now you're starting to hear things like, conservative Christians are the problem. They are the ones who are keeping us from getting back to normal. Right? We're starting to see this, uh, this system kind of set in place to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to come together as the world and take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, and we're going to tear their fetters apart. Fetters are like handcuffs. And we're going to cast away their cords. We're going to get rid of all this old bondage, right? We're going to live like free people. We're going to love who we want to love. We're going to, you know, make our choice. We're going to do whatever we want to do because this is the modern world, right? And we want to be on the right side of history and all that other stuff, okay? That's what the world is doing. And if you just look at that, it's a little bit scary. But notice verse 4, and we're getting ready to wrap up here. But verse 4, 5, and 6, you've got to read. You can't just restart Psalm 2 and not get to the next part. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Have you ever seen a kid with a pretend tool or a pretend gun? Right? If a kid finds just the right stick... Sticks are great things, by the way. I can't stand video games, but I am a big fan of bringing sticks back. Um, but if a kid finds the right size stick, he can make it just about anything, right? And he can get his, you know, he can get his chainsaw, and he's, got his, he's pulling a string. And he's walking around cutting down trees all over the place, right? And as an older person, you look at it, and you just kind of smile. Like, oh, that's cute, right? Because he's impersonating a real thing. Like, he's impersonating power, Right? You get a chainsaw on your hands, and you are wielding power right there. It's dangerous power, but it's a lot of fun. Okay? Um, kid gets a stick, and they're playing like it's a gun. They're faking something that is really powerful. And as the Lord is sitting in heaven, the Lord looks down at the whole global system and all the, you know, the organizing and the scheming and the agendas that are going on, and he goes, that's cute. Right? And I mean... And, it's, and we just have to anchor ourselves to that truth. Okay, so we talked about, and as we're kind of pulling this all together, right, Job had to be reminded of who God was, of who God is, and of who God is going to be. 
In Psalm 1, we get the promise that we can be firmly rooted in that same truth that Job had his eyes open to by meditating on the Word. And in Psalm 2, as we're looking at the world system, as we're looking at the sin that's running loose in the world, as we're looking at all the problems that are happening, we can remember, we can remind ourselves and reflect on the fact that God sits in heaven and he can just laugh. And he can say, they have no idea what they're doing, right? All of their scheming, all of their billions of dollars, all of their everything is like a kid with a stick, right? And he says uh, in verse 6, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, right? So the rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And the Lord says, um, excuse me, guys, I've installed the king. I put him in place. You're not taking him out of place. And there's nothing the world can do about it, right? So our world's going psycho. Our world is going ballistic. And it's, it'd be foolish to say it's not, right? But that doesn't change our reality. That doesn't change the Word of God. That doesn't change the character of God. We are still able to anchor ourselves to that truth. So as we're going through, meditate on the Word of God. Delight in the Word of God. And invite the blessings of God into our life, into your life, into my life, as we are receiving His truth, as we're accepting who He is, and as we're walking in that. Okay? So... Dear God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Job. We thank you for the Psalms that we can look at and remind ourselves of who you are. God, I do pray for each and every one of us that we would invite your blessing into our life, that we would meditate on your word, that we would avoid the counsel and the, and the path of the, of the wicked, God. I pray that we would be people who know you personally, that we would be people who are deeply rooted, people who are grounded in your truth. So God, have your way with us. Be glorified in our midst. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.